The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, Hugo Lloris flaps new life into Liverpool's Premier League title dreams. Neil Warnock channels tank man after Cardiff City are robbed by Chelsea. And in the week's least surprising news, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer passes his probation period and completes his formal induction as full-time Manchester United manager. It's a sad farewell to Huddersfield, who are destined for championship football next season. We take a look at who will be joining them. Spoiler alert, it's Fulham and Cardiff. And who has the best chance of bouncing back? People bounce back. Plus, the old firm derby, the chock-full checker trade trophy final, and football's greatest acts of sportsmanship. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility, where I'm joined by returning hero Matt Law. How are you, Matt? Good, yeah, very well. Yeah. Glad to be back. A big weekend for you? A big weekend. I saw Blur Reform. Um, incredible. Not football. Not a big weekend <laughs> football-wise. But yeah, great weekend watching Surprise Blur. Surprise Blur appearance. Yeah, magnificent. In Leytonstone, Wonderful. of all places. Mina Rizuki, can you beat that? Um, who are Blur? Oh, Joe. we've been through this. We've been through this. And I want you sacked for it. Sack Mina. <laughs> How was your weekend, Mina? I don't. I was going to say I don't remember it now, but oh, yeah, no. it, was, it was quite good. If you don't remember, it must have been brilliant. <laughs> it was quite good, actually. <laughs> Completing our lineup, it's a man in the prime of his life. JJ Ball, how are you? Good. I watched rugby on the weekend. Oh no, I know. Judas! I know. It was good fun. I really liked how you can get right up to the pitch and uh, and watch the rugby. <laughs> you <laughs> also, can... you can drink beer in the stands. It was fantastic. You needed some lower league football in your life. You can go and join yeah. the Brian Moore podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Mina sacked for not knowing who Blur is and mm. JJ going over to the Brian Moore podcast. To be clear, I had to be coached through the rules for a lot of it during the game, but my friend loved it, so it's fine. Audio Football Club in crisis. Let's try and get back on track with the discussion of Liverpool and their victory against Spurs on Sunday. It feels like there's two ways you can interpret this Liverpool win, Mina. Very fortunate at the end, the way it panned out. They got the winner. Uh, you can say perhaps they're destined for the title and this is further proof they're going to win the league. Or you could argue they're not good enough because they needed that stroke of luck. What's your take? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I can't quite figure out which one it is. Sometimes, you know, you, they always say you have to be good to be lucky. So you have to earn your luck. And it does look to be that way with the, with the case of, you know, Hugo Lloris having like the world's worst well, actually, it's not the world's worst game. He's had a really bad run this season. Um, but it is just them getting their chances. If you looked at that Salah header, you would think it's such a weak one that obviously you would be able to hold on to it. So the manner in which they won that for me is is astonishing. And yet they're not even the team that have scored the most goals after, you know, the last 15 minutes of a game. And yet they're still a side that are earning their luck, that everything's going their way. But when you have somebody like Virgil van Dijk, who can put off Sissoko from scoring that goal, when he has Sissoko and Son to watch out for, I mean, this is a guy that reminds me of the Milan backline from the early 90s. He's good enough to pop. Honestly, I was astonished because for so long I was like, really, is he going to be that good? Is he really going to be worth all this money? Look, they're a good side. They're not a side that is as good as Manchester City in the way they're playing their football. They're not imposing their style of play like they did last year. But at this moment in time, they're offering balance. They're doing enough to win the game. So you can't complain. Let's talk a little bit about Larissa. It was such an odd error because it looked like he had control of it. He, it looked like he'd caught it and then immediately it spooned away from him. 
not the first time he's made a big mistake in a big game this season. Will Spurs be looking elsewhere this summer, Matt, for a new keeper? Well, they should. <laughs> he's their captain as well, which sort of adds to the dilemma on it. Um, Does that matter that much, do you think? I think it matters to Pochettino. Um, uh, he's really streaky this season because I've watched a lot of them and he's gone through terrible runs, but he's also earned them. I mean, he was incredible away at Borussia Dortmund when they won 1-0 and just survived onslaught after onslaught. And he's had some games like that where he has been excellent. But he's just, it seems too much up and down with him. It seems like there's too many sort of nine performances and too many three or four performances, rather than not enough sort of seven and eights. Um, he's gone very streaky. I think it is a problem. And the odd thing is, is that Gazaniga, whenever he's come in, has done really well. Um they were on some remarkable run with Gazaniga that I think they'd won every single match he'd, he'd played for them, but maybe they've drawn one since I last looked at that stat. But if you were picking purely on form this season, when Gazaniga was last in, you wouldn't have dropped him. I mean, Loris came in because he was Loris and because he came back in because he was Loris and because he was club captain. Um, the difficulty, I think, for Tottenham, it's very easy to say, oh, they should replace him in the summer, but I would say that Loris is still in I'm talking Premier League, not Europe. Uh, Premier League-wise, still in that second band of goalkeepers. He's not in the, the sort of top. Who's the first band? Well, the first band is sort of De Gea. Uh, Isn't it, is it just De Gea? Probably. Okay. Um, but, I mean, Alisson makes mistakes too, doesn't he? Kepa's made mistakes. He's still in that second band of goalkeepers, I think. And Tottenham just can't afford to go and buy a goalkeeper in the first band. So realistically I don't see how they would replace him it's interesting also because sort of Real Madrid had a, a problem in the sense that uh, they thought that they needed a Thibaut Courtois when they had Keylor Navas and actually what Zidane always said was Navas was really important for the dressing room so any potential mistakes that arise or whatever happens he's so important for the dressing room so I wonder whether it is because he's a captain and, and, and it's exactly that point a case of we don't want to start making him feel agitated and, and changing him with somebody else and who's going to earn their place because it, it's just a bad season and perhaps next season he can rise to the occasion once again and, and continue to prove the consistency that we've always seen him prove. Um, so I, there is also that if he is somebody who gives harmony in, in the dressing room and, and inspires others, maybe it's just a lack of communication at the back at the moment. What well, I do think, though, having just spoken about Gazaniga, is I think going forwards is that at some point Gazaniga deserves another chance. And if he plays well, then maybe it's time to let him carry on and have more of an equal balance between those two Big goalkeepers. moment dropping your keeper, though. It, it is, yeah, a huge moment. It's really difficult to, to do. And even more so when it's a captain. He's also won the World Cup. And uh, you want to have players in your team who know how to win things because that's how you win things. So you can't get rid of someone as important as that, I would say. My only issue with it is that there was a really great point that was made in Match of the Day, which is the fact that the team don't seem to trust him at the moment. Oh, that was saying that Elderworld was didn't pass to him, didn't trust him. Yeah, I don't and know. you saw that Stephen moment. Stephen Warnock's saying that, but I don't know. You can see exactly why he doesn't want to pass it because if he, if he hits it wrong, it could quite easily go far far worse than safety first which is what Alderweireld does and puts out for a throw he actually wasn't only at fault for the second goal I thought he was at fault for the first goal too it was his rubbish clearance that yeah, gave the was. ball back to Liverpool oh, yeah. he, was, yeah. he didn't even get it to halfway line it's it's terrible poor, clearance yeah. Yeah. I wonder whether it must affect you a little bit when you come out of the World Cup and you have won it that's the greatest achievement he's ever going to 
to do. I think probably, yeah. But then when you're, in a, when you're in a game, you're not thinking, I've won the World Cup, this doesn't matter. But it is it's a lack of focus at the last few seconds of the he's, match, isn't but it? He's had a funny time, hasn't he? I mean, he had the drink-driving charge, um, which seemed extremely uncharacteristic for him. It has been a funny Maybe funny sort of nine, eight or nine months with Lloris. Tell me about Liverpool, JJ. There was uh, some delightful... Moments at the end of the game, Klopp giving it the big one in front of the cop, Dalglish grinning in the stands. Will they be this happy come the end of the season? I still can't tell. I think Man City are still a better team. Mm. I think Liverpool are fantastic to watch when they get going, but they still seem a little bit nervy. And I think they got lucky against Spurs. There was a lot of their. Yeah, Spurs had chances to win it. Yeah, but there's another thing that happened in match today. Actually, we keep doing match today chat, but uh, Jermaine Gina said it was. He was. He didn't like that Klopp went to a more attacking shape later on in the game when they were still winning, and that's how Spurs were getting uh, to counterattack them so easily. But Jurgen Klopp knows how to win titles, and if you just sit for a draw, you don't win anything. You have to go for it, and I quite like that he's done that. Did you see the Michael Cox thing on Twitter where he was saying Pochettino being in the stands was actually brilliant? He made really astute changes because he could see the game far better, and why don't all managers just always sit in the stands? Well, I was thinking about this when I was watching the rugby on Saturday because... Um, I don't, the rugby coaches tend to sit high up. You can see the shape from much higher up. When you're actually standing, especially when you're in the touchline, you can't really see anything. You can't see the actual shape. You can't see what's going on. You've got no way of seeing it on a, even a screen unless you've got a helicopter shot above you. But that's really crucial to know what's, what's going on. I mean, I think if uh, managers could have that, they would. Because you can absolutely, you know, it looks like championship manager that way. So you can look and see where everything is. And then you know what's not working from a different angle. But I mean, you can't have that when you're on the side, can you? Rudy Garcia had his assistant manager when he was at Roma always sit up in the stands and tell him what. That to me it. makes more sense. Yeah, I, thought, I was thinking maybe a data analyst would do it or something. So an yeah. analyst would have in the stand that can relate and say, well, you're missing this flank here. This is what you would change. So that way you're closer to the players to be there. But yeah, uh, it makes yeah. sense being higher up. Potter had that fellow with the laptop next I, to him. Maybe I, he was on football manager. <laughs> and, and something. <laughs> yeah. I'd just like to admit that maybe I was wrong. Um, I've Never. been saying for weeks, I know. Someone emailed saying that I was always right on That's something, right. as I think we always thought. But I'm going to admit, I think <laughs> I might have been wrong. I've been saying for weeks that this nervous energy at Anfield is going to cost Liverpool. And the facts would maybe have it the other way around, I've sort of seen. Because um, Larice made very bad late error. Pickford, Mares, Man City. Perhaps the nervous energy and everything around Liverpool is actually affecting the opponents and, and not Liverpool but perhaps it's helping Liverpool and I've got it completely wrong I was also thinking as well weren't they so maybe it's back to that old thing of sucking the ball in yeah, yeah, it, it, but we're never going to know what, like, no we'll never know it's intangible but then I was thinking this as well and I, on, on the same note that because they are getting over the line with these like kind of fortunate performances mm. I mean they're still good to win you know but it, could, it should have been a draw that game but because they're still getting the points they need out of these games um, even when they're nervy, they still know they're going to get it and it helps them mentally. So then other teams, it's that Manchester United effect that I've always seen in the 90s and 2000s that you just know they're going to win. No matter what, how badly they play, they're just going to get over the line somehow and well, that must feed into the opposition. Yeah, but I mean, don't get me wrong, to... I still think Man City will win it. Oh, but I've, I've maybe misjudged the effect of the, the Anfield nervous energy. I'm interested to see whether the nervous energy is going to push them over the line or whether this courageous, that you know, courageous football will push them over the line like being just having sort of two people back at the end in the last 10 minutes and taking that gamble which is something you can take when you do have Virgil van Dijk at the back as as being one of those two but my issue with it is that I love courageous football and sometimes it really annoys me when Pochettino doesn't actually just take a few more risks 
But it's interesting. I want to know whether that is going to pay off in the end or actually they're going to be punished for throwing caution to the wind and just going all out sometimes when they don't necessarily have to. So it's like at the end of the season, there are so many answers, you know, what what's best to be tends to be this, then we can really see what they are. But is this laying down a foundation for future generations? Or is this the last, if you're going to win it by destiny and by luck and all of this, what about the foundations that they're laying down? All still very pleasantly poised. Let's move down the country and left a bit to Cardiff, where... Uh, <laughs> Matt, oh, no. you saw a brilliant advert for VAR in this match. It Card, is. Uh, Chelsea it is. Uh, benefiting from two bizarre decisions. The Azpilicueta goal pretty clearly I'd say offside. Three or four bizarre decisions. They were really cheated, weren't they, by uh, <laughs> by the officials? They were. They were. I, I don't like battering officials because I I generally like that old Brian Clough quote of the players always make more mistakes than the officials in a football match. But you could see why Neil Warnock was so upset. I mean, the Aspilicueta one, even when you just watched it, you know, so often I'm in a press box and I'll watch something live and I won't see the error or I won't see that it's offside. You're reliant on the replay. But you could just see it. And you were so, it's one of those where you were sort of waiting, thinking it's going to get disallowed. It's, it's that split second of they're all celebrating, but it's all going to, someone's going to point somewhere. Surely someone's going to signal oh, no, they've actually given it. And then you're looking at the replay thinking, have we got this horribly wrong? And he's even further offside than you thought. I enjoyed Neil Warnock's non-violent protest at the end where he was stood in <laughs> front of the referee and the two assistants and just staring at them. It's like Tinnaman Square almost. Staring them down and then start, sort of started kind of clapping the crowd as they sort of cheered Cardiff and sort of abused the referee and he was kind of stood there clapping them while the crowd were abusing the ref. Any kind of sanction for I hope I thought that was a brilliant thing to do. I hope not because he did two things. He dragged the two players Harry Arter was one, I can't remember the other. There were two players who went for the referee at the end of the match and he dragged them away from from them. Um joking that if he has to go to Man City and get battered they have to come with him too. Um and then in the post match interviews I did think he stopped short. He said a couple of times in our press conference with the the written media that he knows the referees have got a difficult job. He knows they're not dishonest. He knows they're honest, um, but they just need help and they've got it badly wrong. I don't think he went over a line particularly. And I thought he he did his best, which is very un-Neil Warnock-like. He did his best to actually criticise the decisions and moan about the decisions without going over the top and accusing the officials of something ridiculous. I think this is classic Neil Warnock, actually. I think he, <laughs> he, he often reacts in a way that surprises you when you would expect him to be at his most yeah. extreme. I think he, he plays that persona to take uh, attention he, I off, thought he did well with it yesterday. Uh, I thought he did well. I thought he would come in and absolutely lose it. I just thought he wouldn't be able to help himself he's, losing he's it. He's a lot cleverer than people think. This I think, is a Warnock. huge loss of money. This is his like livelihood on the line. It's... I don't know that it's his livelihood. Okay. But it, that, you're right. Those it's decisions affect that game, there. though, don't they? And that could affect yeah. his job because then uh, they might not stay up now because they've not got the points. They could have They could have won that game. They were. They shouldn't have let in the goals that, that came around because of the decisions that were made. And I think I kind of agree with them that smaller teams tend to be on the wrong side of a lot of decisions from referee, I think it's subconscious bias. They just don't, they don't naturally know they're doing it, but they just tend to think, oh, it must be legit because it's this team that scored. And uh, that's kind of what, well, that's what he said in this post-match, wasn't it? He said he worked hard for three weeks. Um, they felt a bit cheated. And it might be a bit late for me by the time VAR comes because <laughs> you don't know how long he'll be in charge of Yeah, that was, a, that was a hint, wasn't it? That he, he already knows he's not going to be there next season. Well, this is... Unless they... What about if they stay up? 
He might not still be there. He might He'll get Ranieri. He might decide to. Oh, he God. might not necessarily get sacked. There's there's been a lot of rumours that he will retire at the end of this season. Go out on a high. What about Maurizio Sarri, Matt? <laughs> uh, fans calling for his head when they were one 0 down. Probably not all that placated by actually winning that game in the end. Chelsea must be unhappy with him after what he said about Hudson Odoi. Reckless comments that he had. I, I would argue game. what uh, Sari said about Hudson Odoi was more reckless than Antonio Conte sending the famous text to Diego Costa, because what? <laughs> when Conte sent that text to Diego Costa, Costa was already leaving. He was gone. He had had the January where he tried to force his move to China. They'd already agreed that Costa was going to leave Chelsea. And so sending him a text saying, basically, you're not going to be part of my plans next season. So what? The guy was gone. Yeah, the guy but it cost your team back. financially in the terms it's of selling It's going to cost well. it more with Hudson-Odoi. He, I don't think he did cost them that much. I don't think they'd have got... The money that they they claim they claim oh we could have got like a hundred million for Diego no you couldn't he was only ever going to go to one club he 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 made it clear he was only ever going to join one club and he wanted to leave he'd handed in transfer request after transfer request we've subsequently found out there was no auction to be had there was no market there so it's rubbish to say that Antonio Conte cost them like forty million absolute rubbish and Sarri's what he said about Hudson Odoi remind us what he said. He said, basically, I watched a few minutes. We, he was asked, did you watch his England debut? I watched a few minutes, and the, the minutes I watched, he wasn't very good while he was on the right. That is more reckless. This is a 50-50 situation with Hudson-Odoi, where the club are doing, the club, not sorry, are doing everything they can to try and keep him. Everything. Um, and he's going against that. And that him saying that, while nothing on Hudson-Odoi's future is decided, is more reckless than what... Conte did with Costa I and could cost them could actually cost them more he can go on a free transfer in 2020 and that will cost them millions and millions of pounds I wondered whether it's this is- player management so he's because Hudson O'Doy there's a lot of noise about a player who still hasn't started in the Premier League and, and it's Thank almost you. a carnival about it so Sarri's trying to make sure it's not this, like, this circus parade about a player that shouldn't be getting the headlines he is currently getting because he's young and English and he'll very clearly be a good player. But Sarri is the manager and often it seems like, oh, he's not picking him, he's he's wrong. And while hudson could probably start and play, I think that makes sense from Sarri and also keeping his head down because if, if it all feeds into hudson who comes across as very humble and polite whenever I've heard him speak, but he'll read these headlines and his mates will tell him things that they're saying you're going to be the next this and that. But if Sarri says, oh, he wasn't very good in the right, but he was good in the left, which is where he is, that's but, sort of, that must be saying but he didn't say the right. He didn't say that. He said, I, he said, I watched a few minutes and what, the bit I watched, he wasn't very good. What, what else was he doing last Monday night? What else was he doing? The only other match on with any Chelsea players on was France. Does he need to watch Canton Giroud? I bet he wasn't watching that. I will bet you anything he wasn't watching that full game. He's got a record button. Could have watched it on record. Yeah, but why, then... why would you not watch it? It's a kid who hasn't played in the Premier League who's getting his England debut. It's his job to watch it. It is his absolute job to watch that game. It's ridiculous. Whether you think Hudson-Odoi should be starting in the Premier League or as good as people say, that's not the point at all. I would agree that Hudson-Odoi shouldn't be starting every game. For, I'm not arguing that Hudson-Odoi should be starting every game for Chelsea at all. I was in Montenegro and I thought his performance was good, but it was naive as well. And you could see a lot of probably what Sarri's problems are with him. 
but he didn't watch it and he wouldn't have seen how he improved when he went from the right or the left because he admitted he only watched him while he's on the right. He wouldn't have seen he's how he reacted to getting racist abuse. He wouldn't have seen the interviews after the match of how well he dealt with then having to be questioned about an England team getting racist abuse when he's 18. It's unbelievable he didn't watch Look, it. Look, I agree with so you on this. So he's on playing the left and he was better in his quote. So either but he saw a few minutes. He said he saw the first, I think, the first 20 minutes. No, the first minutes. 20 minutes. Well, he um, hadn't swapped by the first 20 minutes. So, so he saw the English national team for 20 minutes and Callum didn't start very well on the right. He did very well on the left immediately in his first action, but I know very well he prefers to play on the left. Okay, so listen, I don't know how to deal with this because obviously, like, where the, the leagues that I come from, you know, we just don't give... <laughs> we don't give a hoot about kids, yeah? Good use of hoots there, maybe. <laughs> so I, was, I was trying to use a nice word. Um, and I get... And I do think there's a, this element of sometimes, you know, like, I remember Jose Mourinho at Real Madrid and at the time everyone's like, why are you playing Pedro Leon? Why are you playing Pedro Leon? If you play him, then you don't understand that this will make the difference. And he said, oh my God, I'm not benching Messi. You know, like, calm down. Pedro Leon could be the next Messi, but at this moment in time, to me, he's still a kid who's very naive. And... And then it just turned into a whole thing. Obviously, Pedro Leon never turned into being, into being anything really special. Now, Moisekan is un- unbelievable for Italy. And the first thing they asked Allegri was, are you going to start him in this match against Empoli, which is a really rubbish side in Serie A? And he said no, because he was so exceptional. But those two games that he played for Italy were both mentally and physically exhausting. I don't want to add to the pressure because everyone is looking at him right now. And I want him to just stay realizing that he's not yet at this level to grow slowly and to feel comfortable. This could be what Sadi is doing, which is just trying to handle this whole occasion and make him feel that he is still a player on the team. He's not more special than Hazard. And it could look bad. In many ways, it is true. You are trying to keep hold of a player that Bayern Munich is is trying to come for. Not any other side, but Bayern Munich. So I do get, and I do think it's his job, absolutely. So you're really right, like Matt, he should be watching him the whole way through. And he should be looking at the fact that he's maturing and the way that he's responded. I do think he knows all these things. I just don't think he handles these very well. And this is another problem with Chelsea. Why hire a coach that you know very well only ever depends on the first 11, never rotates, exactly the reason why Napoli's owner but was so angry with them he did bench Hazard I mean when you say about the guy saying I'm not going to bench Messi he benched Hazard he benched Hazard and still didn't play him now William played quite well yesterday but Pedro's been pretty terrible William hasn't been great maybe he was scared that it was too much too quickly it might be it might be but he needs to come out and explain it properly and yes. he needs to look like he's paying attention to Hudson Adoy. And it doesn't look like he's paying attention to him. It, it, it looks like seems like it's someone who hasn't really thought it through, who hasn't think about it, ca- mm-hmm. hasn't thought about it carefully, because he knows he's not going to be around for that long. Yeah, he's very flippant about so? the whole subject. He's very flippant about it. I mean, when he was then asked, um, you know, well, the fans sing for this lad every single game. He came out with some quote, "I'm not the coach of the fans." <laughs> we well, sort of are. You're the coach of Chelsea. <laughs> which the fans are invested in. You sort of are the coach of the fans. And by saying that, the fans just hate him. And weirdly with Chelsea, what I've found is when you usually get this situation with clubs lately, like with Arsenal, the, the real vitriol for Arsenal, there was vitriol in the stadium at the end, but early doors, the vitriol for Arsene Wenger was mainly from the non-going fans. It was from like the Twitter fans and the social media fans, mm. people watching the telly. It's the other way around with Chelsea. The match-going fans who having to sit through it are booing him, singing abuse at him, singing We Want Him Out. Funnily enough, the social media sort of non-paying fans 
are all a bit more like invested into, you know, Sarri Ball, and we want to see Sarri Ball. One day we'll see Sarri Ball. <laughs> and it's the other way around. <laughs> but it's the people who are watching it and paying for it who don't like it. And it's not going to change. The, the result yesterday didn't change anything in terms of the, the Chelsea fans' view of him. There you mm. go. Social media, the place for calm <laughs> Chelsea support. Reason to watch. <laughs> Listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Let's rattle through the rest of the Premier League now. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got the full time job at Manchester United. Uh, they saw off Watford in a quite an odd game. They played quite defensively. Some suggestion they were practicing for the Barcelona game by sitting very deep against Watford. Seems like an odd tactic, JJ, to use your Premier League games as rehearsals for Champions League. I I mean, I'm not sure that's exactly all that you'd be doing because they can work on that in the training ground anyway against another team. But uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer likes to play in the counter-attack like old Alex Ferguson teams used to. And people remember Alex Ferguson's teams as being the most beautiful football of all time. It wasn't. It was often they sat either midway or deep and hit on the counter. And they've got players built exactly for it because that's what the structure in place before has brought in. Players that can run at pace and have a bit of skill uh, going forward Luke Shaw's pass to Marcus oh, Rashford is unbelievable the most I nearly, I nearly, beautiful I pass I did a, like a finger click there. Uh. I was so excited about remembering <laughs> that pass yeah, it was great I also wondered there's a weird thing in this, in this um, game where Martial scores the, the second goal but when the cross comes in he sort of back heels Foster's face and I wonder how it's not a foul. It's a weird one it just seems to be accepted that Chris Foster doesn't moan about it it's fine but if he'd gone down if Foster had held his Hell his face there. It's fine if you backheel them. It's done with a little bit of flair. Yeah. What about Manchester City? They barely had to engage even first gear to see off Fulham. Matt. They just coasted down a gentle hill in neutral. Obviously, relegations coming for Fulham. Do you think the lack of enthusiasm they're showing suggests it's going to be quite a long time for them out of the Premier League? Now it feels like it's a hard mood to come back from. Yeah, they've got they've got problems because they've got problems behind the scenes with their kind of recruitment strategy, um, seemingly. Um, I think they're going to have problems with a lot of the players they bought in uh, in the summer. Uh, the series of this world and Mitrovic's aren't going to see themselves playing in the championship. So if, if they try and keep them, they could have difficulties with their sort of attitudes. If they sell them, they've got to replace them. The spirit that they had in coming up, this, this is what's such a shame for a lot of clubs that end up coming up. They come up on this wave of spirit and it looks fantastic and it all dissipates within a relegation and the spirit seems to have gone from that squad and that club a little bit and I I, I would be surprised if they bounce back up. Yeah well a team that did that very well in their first year was Huddersfield who really carried on the momentum and, and stayed up massively against the odd sadly relegated now uh, in this season awesome. in the Premier League. Yeah Mina you're, you're Great your favourite team. Yeah. Huddersfield yeah, and, and you know what? When I watch them against Crystal Palace, I'm like, I really, they, I really do like them. Yeah. I think they play good football. Like when I watch Fulham against City, I'm like, you deserve to be relegated. You don't care about your passing. It's ridiculous the way that you're playing this football. And they've got Mitrovic and they've got Sari and they've got really great players. And you look at Huddersfield and you just think, ah, what a difference it would have made if you just had a finisher, if you just had somebody who understood how to put the ball into the back of the net. Not all the time, but just some of the time. Because actually their football is fun to watch. And I feel like in a lot of times, in a lot of matches, including actually against Liverpool when Wagner was still in charge, they had they play great games and then you turn around and you wonder why what's going on? How has it not happened for them? But sadly, you know, they made mistakes in the transfer market. But I do think that them going down, it's not going to be hugely 
terrible because, you know, it's not like they have the players who are on these massive contracts, you know, they haven't gone above and beyond their budget and hopefully they'll be back up when they keep building well. Big wins for Southampton and uh, Burnley over a disappointing Wolves at the weekend. It's all looking a little bit more settled now at the bottom, isn't it? Especially after Cardiff's defeat. Do we think it's going to be that those three and Cardiff will join Huddersfield and Fulham going down? I'd be really, really upset if it's Cardiff. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just seeing how flat it was. They've got Man City away next. I just don't see how they come back from that. I really don't. I mean, that that is a huge moment in their season. Um, And, you know, Burnley Burnley and Southampton are going to pick up enough points, aren't they? I mean, let's face it. So I looked at the... um, the average salary of the different clubs in the Premier League because generally over a season it works out that the highest wage will win and the lowest will get relegated and Cardiff are by far and away this is Sporting um, Intelligence that's what they're called yeah Sporting Intelligence's uh, research but Cardiff are well bottom at £957,000 annual wage per player so that they're not getting relegated already it's actually really impressive Mm. Yeah, they've turned it around, haven't they, JJ? After the pub team. Some people wrote pub them team. off uh, many still. times yes. during the season. Well, maybe you're right, maybe they're getting <laughs> relegated. Um, West Ham, properly dreadful at home <laughs> to Everton. Is there a more unpredictable team in the Premier League at the moment, JJ? I can't really figure West Ham out. It's very odd. I don't quite know what the um, the style of... Pe- Pellegrini's got quite a good CV. Like He's won uh, trophies in different countries, but he tends to have long periods between when he does win. He obviously did well with Man City when he was there and he's playing a similar sort of shape but with players who aren't quite good enough. But that's them sitting down 11th there, which is exactly their level. I mean, Watford, Everton, Leicester, Wolves are all quite good. West Ham are just slightly below that. <laughs> and then there's a little bar- barrier to them in Bournemouth. And I think they're... I mean, yeah, there's there's not really much you can say about West Ham apart from they very are, <laughs> are very inconsistent. Aren't they just like being like West Ham have always been mainly... They they go on little runs. You think they're getting it together, and then they lose odd games, and it all falls apart. Alnautovic, I I see booed off by the supporters. That's that looks like it's irretrievable. Uh, Perez, uh, Lucas Perez, what a dreadful footballer. <laughs> awful. Oh, I saw him at Arsenal. He was appalling at Arsenal. And I just thought he maybe he didn't get enough of a chance or anything. But he's been woeful. It's like at West he's horribly Ham. medium. He's just such a medium. He's not player. medium. He's terrible. He's absolutely rare. terrible. <laughs> Speaking of Arsenal, they play Newcastle at home on Monday night. Give us a prediction for that game. It doesn't have to be the score. Anything that might happen in that match. Well, people have not mostly listened to this already. Maybe. It's a draw. <laughs> I think people are listening to this on their way home to watch Arsenal-Newcastle. So we're teeing up their evening really okay. nicely, Matt. Arsenal to win comfortably. Comfortably? Yeah. Why? I, I don't know. I was just asked for a prediction. Arsenal to win comfortably <laughs> by at least two goals or more. Yeah, Arsenal are going to finish third, aren't they? Imagine they finish third. This could sound really stupid if Arsenal have just lost when people listen to this. But okay, listen, you've just been... They've really got a great run in. They can go You've third been praised tonight. for your prediction, yeah. so make sure this is a solid one. Arsenal are going to finish third. Okay, Arsenal finishing third. Newcastle go heavy, heavy defence when they play anyone who's quite yeah. good. And it'll just be really difficult for Arsenal to break them down. But they're quite suited to that. That's what they've been built for. So Wait, Matt, who's going to finish fourth? Uh, Man United. Okay. There you go. Write it on a big stone and put it in your back garden. No, I'm not Ed Millerman. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the week of international football, Matt. You're in Montenegro. Uh, good win for England, but um, marred by uh, the abuse of the players. Um, 
would you have marched the players off? That seemed to be a suggestion, and, and Southgate seemed to be genuinely conflicted about what he should have done. Do you think that's a good way to combat this when it <sighs> arises? So difficult, this one. So difficult. Um, I felt sorry for Southgate because when that was put to him in the press conference, he genuinely took it on board, and you could tell he was one, like, literally sitting in front of us wondering whether he should have done that. And he was genuinely upset by maybe the possibility that he hadn't taken the action he could have done. Look, I mean, on Friday, most Premier League managers were saying I would take my players off. I was with Pochettino, who said unquestionably, no matter what the circumstance, I'd take my players off. I think it's a difficult one because I, I genuinely think that those England players wouldn't want to have been marched off. Mm. Raheem Sterling wanted to score a goal and do what he did in front of the fans and show them that they can't beat him and that he will show them that he is stronger than them. That's my opinion. So I don't think they would have wanted to be marched off. So I think it's a really difficult one. Um, And I don't think I can sit here and say flippantly, I would do this, I would do that. This is the right thing to do. That's not. I don't know what the right thing is to do. I don't know what people should do but people are talking about it, people are thinking about it. What I do think Southgate hadn't had to do before or hadn't done before and what he will now do is think about what he wants to do if this happens again and I would imagine that he will talk to his squad about what they want to do if that happens again and that's definitely a conversation that should be happening. Again, Sterling just dealing with adversity beautifully. Um it's been a remarkable change in perception in the last year or so for him, JJ. Clearly, he would have had some help with that. There would have been some PR guidance. But do you think this is a sign that clubs and maybe agents should trust their players a little bit more, let them say what they think a bit more? Because Sterling is, is just doing it really wonderfully at the moment. I think what Sterling uh, has done this season and facing it head up is absolutely superb. Um, it's a shame it's taken to the point where you have to commend someone for doing something like that because it, should, you know, it shouldn't exist in the first place. But I like that it's now a talking point and I think because it becomes a talking point the very same places that Raheem Sterling was criticising before will now treat the narrative differently and they have to then treat it like this is disgusting I can't believe they were doing it and it was you doing it but that's uh, kind of what happens and that's a good thing uh, it's I, I mean I don't know what what really to it's, say about it, it. it, it. It's very interesting with Sterling because you feel like the way that he's been playing with Manchester City, the way that he's developed, he has the confidence to be himself on the pitch and off the pitch. And he's found an opportunity in which he's somebody who in particular actually speaks really well. And he's bringing attention to a subject, which is the way that certain players are described in the media, the way that, you know, the media refers to to black players on, on occasion. And he's bought this into the limelight and he's spoken about it well. It, of course, every player should be trusted, but there are those that can just do a little bit better when it comes to having the limelight on them to sort of shine a light on certain issues that need to be debated, that need to be talked about. And Southgate in particular, I thought was very impressive as well as a coach because it's not just the question of should I march my players off or not. It's also the way that he spoke about Montenegro. And he said, you know what, we also have this in our country. We're all in this together. There are so many European countries right now that are trying to deal with this issue. Um, We're trying to deal with what the punishment should be because a partial stadium closure is just, it's not deterring anyone from doing this. So it's a case of everyone looks like the conversation is being steered in the right way 
where nobody is actually being blamed, but actually let's try to see how we can work together to stop this from happening. Football is not going to resolve this this whole mess that we have in society, but it can go some way into showing us what the path can be to take to stop it from happening. Hello, I'm Brian Moore and I'm the host of Brian Moore's Full Contact. Each week we get the biggest and best names from the world of rugby to dive into every rook, mall and TMO decision. No-nonsense analysis covering the Six Nations, the World Cup, the Premiership, Pro 14, Premier 15s and everything in between. Search for Brian Moore's Full Contact on your podcast provider. Hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss out and every Tuesday morning we will be there ready for your commute to work. That's Brian Moore's Full Contact, available from wherever you download your podcasts. Right, let's play the national anthem of Europe in all of our heads and begin a song for Europe with Mina Rizuki. <laughs> Mina, Bayern Munich. Bayer? Bayer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling to pronounce Bayern. I've really, I've gone some. Bayern Munich drew with Freiburg, allowing Dortmund to go two points clear. You backed Dortmund last week, Mina. You must be feeling pretty smug. Yeah, until, of course, they play each other next week and then buy and win. Um, listen, it's really interesting because there's always this debate in Italy about how much a coach um, affects the team and, and how responsible he is for wins. And people always say, oh, he's about 20% responsible for a team's success. For me, it's always been about 70. Um, I, I do think a coach is more important than the squad put together. and I And I know that's a ridiculous thing to say, but if you... Believe me, if you have, I don't know, like you can see what Jose Mourinho did with Manchester United and you can see what will happen if, you know, when they do have a very good coach and they have Solskjaer who's already taken them so far. Um, Lucien Favre, for me, will always be better than Niko Kovac, so I trusted them. They do have a lot of youth and the brilliance of youth is that they play until the final minute, which is why Dortmund is winning the matches and it's why they won over Wolfsburg over the weekend because they just don't stop. They can keep going. Um, they do look tired at times despite not actually um, having anything to really play for barring this, barring the title, but they're not really uh, overextending themselves. But um, the problem with Bayern Munich as well is that Sometimes they just seem to be missing their chances, but they do have the experience to win the tough mental challenges. They play each other next week, so it's interesting to see whether experience will win or youthful exuberance under a brilliant coach. We look forward to that one. Good week for Lionel Messi. I suppose it normally is a good week for Lionel Messi. He uh, took first, second and third in a poll of Barcelona fans about their greatest ever goals. Scored a penenka in the uh, most one-sided local derby in Europe, beating Espanyol. So he's got 39 goals this season, Mina. The next closest is Suarez on 18. After the years when Messi was part of that three-pronged attack with, with Neymar and, and Suarez at his very best, are they now back to being a bit of a one-man show in Barcelona? Yeah, I would probably say so. But I'd also think that he's taken issue with the fact that he was labelled the fifth best player in in the Ballon d'Or. Uh, I think that he feels that he's losing sort of that reputation of being the very best I think he was very he felt really hard done by and Ronaldo's winning all these plaudits at the moment for changing clubs and finding a new challenge so he's playing lights out and when you're playing lights out and you're clutch for the team as as he has been on very on so many different occasions but he really took the game by the scruff of the neck against Espanyol because they were superb defensively and he's trying to prove at the moment that he is the the, the man he is the best player so he's going to do everything to try to win the Champions League to try to do something super special in the league to once again be recognised as the very best and not someone who's not even in the top three of the Ballon d'Or and tell us about the aforementioned Moise Keane at Juve scored against uh, Empoli as you said Moise Keane 
It's mm. close enough. Moise. Ken, actually. Ken. Anyway. Moisey Keen. <laughs> but it's spelled Keen for some reason, so I get that. <laughs> well, but I got Moisey, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, you did. Maybe no, it's not David Moyes. Moisey Keen. I'm sorry to say again, it's Moisey. That's <laughs> <laughs> a Moise, but yeah. <laughs> Close enough. How exciting is uh, is Ken? Uh, okay, so obviously the first thing that the that one of the newspapers in Italy said was, he's a mix between Balotelli and Lukaku. And I was like, is there a reason why you chose two black strikers to compare Moise Keen with? You know, like, it just, oh, I'm, I said it myself, Moise Keen. Um, listen, he's a, he's a very good forward. I can't tell you how great he is because he's yet to play really super wonderful opponents. Um, I guess you can say Atletico Madrid, but he didn't do that fantastically when he did come on against them. He is an exciting talent because he moves around so much. He's so determined. He's a clinical finisher. Um, I do have a little of an issue sometimes with his first touch, um, but he attacks the space. We're very excited about him because Italy has a beautiful young generation coming up, but what they don't have are strikers. But between him and Petro Cutrone, who's at Milan, who's not really getting the chance of playing at the moment because Milan are trying to make fourth and they've got this Polish striker in Piontek, who's amazing. But between those two, you feel like Italy has a hope going forward and Juventus have a backup plan to Ronaldo. Let's return to this island, JJ, and talk about the old firm derby. How did it pan out? Uh, almost exactly as we predicted it would. There was lots of uh, lots of loud noises. There was <laughs> there were red cards. There were goals. It was a great game. It was really fun to watch. Um, and when I previewed it, I predicted that uh, Morelos, Alfredo Morelos, would be sent off. And fifth he was of the season. fifth of the season, yeah. Fifth so this season. guy likes to get sent off. What's his problem? Um, the thing is, all these red cards are—they're hilarious. Like all—all <laughs> all you do is you give him a little nudge, and he'll kick. So this first sending off, I think, of the season was against Aberdeen, um, and he got a little nudge from a centre back, and he responded not by you know squaring up to him. He just booted him. He volleyed him. <laughs> that was that was rescinded. Weirdly, <laughs> yeah. I love a player like that. <laughs> he uh, later stamped on the the we'll call it the private regions of that same defender oh at the later God. part in the season against Aberdeen again. He's been sent off against Celtic. So this time, Scott Brown, who is the ultimate troll, like he doesn't. He, I think he's a psychopath. <laughs> he goes on the on the on the pitch and he's genuinely clapping at opposition players, going, "Don't worry, guys, you're only one nil down." And he's going up to them when he when he gets tackled hard, rather than rolling around looking for uh, attention he gets up and goes Rah! it's really very very strange but here he gave uh, Morelos a little kick in the ankle and Morelos responded by elbowing him they got taken off uh, straight red easy decision dead right from the referee Bobby Madden and Stephen Gerrard now says he can't stand behind him any longer and the interesting thing about this is that Morelos is genuinely a very good player he scored 29 goals this season he is Rangers are a one man team effectively with him in there they've got a couple of good others like Ryan Kent who's on loan from Liverpool but Morelos is the absolute star and is probably the best player in the entire league just now Rangers don't have they've spent a lot of money but it's coming from loans and from other sources <laughs> uh, they can't afford to let him sit on the bench and devalue because they're wanting to make they just made him sign a new contract recently which I'd imagine is purely to protect his value so they can sell it in the summer and, uh, and try and raise some more funds to get someone else in who's anywhere near as good as him for the next season. Because without him, I don't think they're going to win anything. <laughs> How do you think Gerard's doing? Because they, they haven't really... feels to me... I never really watch any Scottish football. Um, but it feels to me like this was a season where Celtic haven't been that good. 
and yet they're still they're still the same amount of points ahead of Rangers, aren't they? Uh, uh, yeah, I think they're, actually I'll be going to check this, but I think they're actually worse off than they were at the same time last season. I was trying to find this out. Um, I think Gerard was fine. I don't think there's any clear uh, identity on the pitch. When it gets to the last ten minutes, it honestly looks like he's looking for a Hollywood ball from someone. It looks like he wants Steven Gerrard to be on the pitch yeah. to hit long balls. Uh, they are fragile away at home. They're very strong. Ibrox is quite a scary place to go to, and that's where they've done played their best. I don't, I don't think he's done exceptionally well. And also, the only the only thing you can win as Rangers manager is to beat Celtic and finish above them. They're too far ahead. Yeah. And there's there's no way I'd think he was going to catch up to them this season. Whether he gets a chance to next season, you'd hope he does, but then they spent a lot of money. Like It felt like an opportunity to close a gap, though, this season, because Celtic started the season in a bit of disarray. But it's still a huge gap. I mean, you even look at the wages. Yeah, they should have closed it a bit. They don't seem to have closed it. But you really. can't, again, look at the wages. So, like, Celtic's average wage is about 900,000 for a player, and Rangers is now is about 500. Still, you know, it's double. So, that's mm. huge. If you compare that to Premier League, it's like someone like Man City versus, oh, I don't know, even Everton. Like, double. It's a huge difference. And uh, you can't really close that up as well. And you've got challenge. I mean, there are good teams that are below them, but their wage budgets are just uh, nowhere near it. You've got Aberdeen, Kelly are pushing now as well. I, uh, Stephen Gerrard's won nothing this season. He's won absolutely nothing. I don't see any real change in what he's uh, what he's done to the team and the way they play. The players he's brought in, I haven't really added an awful lot. Morales was good, but I doubt that was his signing. Mm. And then you've got players, the old mates like Jermaine Defoe have come in. It doesn't even really start. Yeah, it's very odd, and I. Think he? I've got a suspicion he might be there until November next season, and if they're not looking any way better, it could be in a bit of trouble. There you go. Heard it here first. Finally, a word for the Checker Trade Trophy final: Portsmouth seeing off Sunderland on penalties. Eighty-five thousand people at Wembley for this one. Only the New Camp had more fans in it this weekend, uh, and Sunderland might have lost, but they took over Trafalgar Square on Saturday night. Superb effort from those fans, Matt. I haven't checked this, but that's got to surely be the best ever third tier attended game <laughs> in Europe I don't know about the world but that is an amazing 85,000 and Portsmouth because of the way the ticketing works there were more Portsmouth fans inside Wembley for that than there were for the FA Cup finals because you don't get the same amount of tickets just incredible what that club have been through it's sensational the way they're coming back and the support they've got and the Sunderland fans in Trafalgar Square just made me laugh because that's so Football. You've got one night, you've got a Saturday night in London. The amount of restaurants, clubs, bars, you could have like a brilliant night out. Could have what, seen Blur. What, could have come and seen Blur and Leighton Stone with me. What do you do? You stand in Trafalgar Square with a Sunderland t shirt on and sing all night. But they'd have had an amazing time. That have had, they, I'm sure they wouldn't have swapped it for the world, but that's the madness of football fans. The, the noise in that stadium is awesome. Mm. Watching the highlights, the noise, is, it's, I love that so much. You only get that from those massive games. It's a little extra, it's like the tone sounds slightly higher than it would normally be at a game. It's electric. Could have it again in the League One playoff final. We look forward to that. Finally, after a Galatasaray player deliberately missed a penalty after he thought it had been awarded wrongly last week, I want to know your nomination for the greatest act of sportsmanship in football. Over on Twitter, our friend Andrew said, uh, Hugo Lloris gifting Liverpool the league? <laughs> what are you saying, JJ? Um, well, I think the obvious one is when uh, Paolo Zucanio caught the ball rather than scoring into an empty net. He's playing for West Ham at the time, Should have been I booked. I, I didn't like it. I mean, it's the, the greatest show of it. But that seemed to set a precedent where now every time anyone is injured, you kick the ball out of play and then it got abused by some players who just won some minutes for their team by being injured, you know, 
not really. Uh, I did. A, it's not sporting at all. It's the opposite. But I did find it funny when Arsenal scored that goal. I think it was Nanku Kanu scored. But remember, they had to replay. They, they replayed the game, didn't they? In yeah. The end. Was it Shef- Sheffield United they were playing? I think it was. Yeah. yeah. That, that same thing happened in Scotland recently. I see Motherwell scored the same sort of goal. It's funny. I, mm. I bet you've got got pretty low tolerance for all this sort of thing, Mina. View it all yeah, with suspicion. I don't like sportsmanship. I, I do like Good. the types of. Uh, you know, Pepe kind of guys on my pitch, you know, Van Bommels, the kind that give you a few kickings. Actually, it's Ica Casillas for me. Um, Euro 2012 final between Italy and Spain. Italy had that injury and um, they had to play with 10 men at the very end. And it was just, a, it was a mauling, right? It was 4-0. And the extra time just was going on and on. And Casillas just turned to the referee and just said, respect for the rival, respect for Italy. It's 4-0, no? And he goes, and the official's like, yes. And he goes, like, just end it. Like, you know, Torres is now scoring. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is when it tells you, like, Italy are done for. It's fine. They, we've won. Like, let them just, you know, just let them, like, uh, sort of start grieving. And uh, I loved him for that. Matt Law? Can't remember any. Oh, this is how one. This best, is why the best podcast from you today, Matt. <laughs> this is criticizing why. the format of the podcast. But you see, I didn't see blur, so yeah. Know. This this is why sportsmanship's not worth anything because it doesn't register. You don't what? remember it for very long. What about the fans in the World Cup? I quite like, like it. What I do like, I can't remember an instance of it without. I haven't got anything to Google it on in front of me. Um, but I do like it when you know, the opposition players will grieve with... The celebrating opposition players will go and grieve with the player who's just missed a penalty or had something terrible yeah, happen. When, when, when they make them stand up. I don't like that. Get up, get no, up. No, I don't mean no. that. Weakness. No, like but that. I mean, well, before, like they go, before they go and celebrate with their teammates, they think, I'm going to go and just, you know... Make sure he's okay. Yeah, look like that Lukaku and Kimbembe. Yeah, perfect example. There that you was go. so sweet. Lukaku also likes to go up to people who have just lost and give them a nice hug. Or they yeah. make a mistake, he gives them a little cuddle on the pitch. Yeah, that right. warms my heart. I like it when they do that. That is very sweet. Good. That's your lot for this week on Audio Football Club. You can contact me in the meantime on Twitter if you would like to. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Also, send us an email. Be like Cameron Donnelly, who sent us a beautiful email this week saying, Hi, Tom. I wanted to get in contact to make sure Matt Law gets the credit he deserves for predicting Fulham's downfall in the very first episode. Not only this, but JJ, Nina and yourself all ridiculed Matt for predicting a United win versus PSG back in December. I salute you, Mr. Matt Law. JJ may be a superior tactician, but your prediction skills first class lap up your praise he really has done Cameron thank you for getting in contact you can join Cameron on the email hall of fame by emailing us at afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk we will read out the very best of what you send us don't forget to subscribe to the podcast look for audio football club somewhere in the podcast world of the internet you can definitely take it from there thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company I'll talk to you again soon (laughs) 